So I have a few things, sort of disclaimers tonight as we think about this topic. And this really isn't sort of part of what I want to say, but it needs to, it needs to make it in here for you. And that is this. Uh, when, we become, when we come to the topic of singleness, I, I realize that you come in here with, with varied emotional responses. Some of you longing um, to be not single. Some of you single tonight um, by somebody else's choice. Some of you very anxious about what it would mean to, to not be single and to be in a relationship, to date someone. Some of you very unsure because of maybe you've watched your parents' marriage either struggle or fall apart in front of your face that you would think that singleness would be the better option for your life. I don't know where you're coming from tonight, but this isn't... I'm not able to talk about this in like a test tube or a Petri dish. This is real stuff that touches real people's lives. And I'm trying to be sensitive to that tonight. And so I want you to know that this topic is... The Bible says something about it though. And therefore, it's worth us to pay attention to it. And I do think that on the flip side of that, that there's actually a lot of us that are longing to how to actually process it, even if we're not bringing baggage or junk into the room. Does that make sense? It's not all of us. But some of us just have, we're curious. How am I to think about my own singleness at this season of life? So there's some questions to sort of talk about. But I think all of us sort of understand in some way, if you're a reader of Shakespeare, you might remember Ophelia and Hamlet. And she sort of went mad because there was unrequited love uh, from her to Hamlet. And I think a lot of us can feel like that too. We desire to be in a relationship and it's maddening because we can't. We don't know how. And so we just have a thousand questions. Now, I will say this. This sort of enters into this. On the topic of singleness, I think personally, and I think the, the, the testimony of many com- communities would be as follows, that the church really has done a poor job a poor job of speaking to this topic. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I would like to suggest to you that what we typically see is that if and when the church speaks about singleness, that when Christianity speaks about it, it's usually along these lines. It's something to endure, and it's something to hurry up and get through so that you can get married to sort of experience your best life now. Does that make sense at all? Like that's why your grandmother keeps asking you who you're dating. You know what I mean? It's because it's actually one of the reasons why you might not want to go home over fall break because you know the questions are coming. Oh, well, are there any girls in your life? Are there any boys in your life? And you just don't know how to wrestle that question. I would like to say that the church has actually misspoken and not spoken properly about this because you're going to see that the Bible says something different than what I've just lined out. That It's not something to hurry up and get through. But I think equally, so you've got the religious insiders establishment, but you also have the broader culture, the secular West outside of the church that's saying something else that's very unique that I don't think squares with the scriptures. And that is is this. It's saying this. It's saying that the broader secular culture highlights that for you to be your truest self, you must live out your sexual desires. That you must live out what is most internal in you you, for you to be truly happy. 
And that is exactly what is true in a post-Freudian West. Okay, For those of you that study psychology or philosophy, you know what I'm talking about. But the idea is, is for you to be a true human being, for me to be a true human being, for me to know true happiness in my life, that my sexuality, my sexual desires must actually be expressed or I'm living some subhuman life. That I'm living something that's not fully what it means to be a human being. And you know what? That's not going to square either with what the Bible has to say. You see, I'd like to ask this question. Is there not a better way? Does not the Bible give us something different that, that holds high, listen to this, both our singleness as a highly dignified way of being human in the world and at the same time that doesn't compromise on human flourishing in any way? I believe that that's exactly what the Bible is telling us tonight. That I believe that's what Paul is telling us, and most importantly, as we'll come to see, that that's what Jesus is actually saying as well, with his life and with his ministry. So tonight, as we look at this topic of singleness and the Christian, I'd like to show you that Paul highlights three particular things. First of all, the gift of singleness. Secondly, the goal of singleness. And thirdly, the going away of singleness. The gift, the goal, and the going away of singleness that comes right here from the text. And here's what I hope you'll see. I hope that you'll see how being, being single, being not married, being in your station of life, no matter how long it lasts, is not a subhuman way to live. It's not second best. That's what I hope that you will see tonight because if you are in Christ Jesus who Colossians 3 says, is your life. Then I would like to suggest to you tonight that there is something so much more than self-absorption and sexual expression. For Jesus came to give us life and life in Him to the full. That's what I'm trying to hope you'll see tonight. So let's take a look firstly at this idea of the gift of singleness. Take a look with me at the text. Did you catch it there in those first opening um, verses there? Paul in his letter is addressing the Corinth church, the church in Corinth, the town in, uh, which is now modern-day Greece. In short, they had questions like all of us do about singleness, about marriage, and about sex. Corinth was a jacked-up church. It gives me great hope for churches that I'm in. Because uh, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, it was full of debauchery. It was full of, of sort of rampant, uh, what we would have called then secularism or paganism. I mean, in this church, you've actually got a man who's sleeping with his stepmom. That's what's, that's what's happening in this church. And uh, it is a crazy sort of world in Corinth. But when the Bible speaks of these relational categories, I want you to see in verse 7 what Paul says. Did you catch it? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. It's on your sheet there. So if you have it, let's read this again together. Verse 7 reads as follows. I'll start with verse 6. Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this, that I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of the other. Now, what is the one of one kind and one of the other that Paul is referencing here? It's very simple. One of one kind is the gift of singleness. And one of the other is the gift of being married. Now, that's what he's talking about there. So the first thing I want you to see here 
is that when Paul talks about singleness, Paul talks about it as a gift. Now, if you were like anything like me when I was in college, you might have been saying something like this. Well, if it's a gift, uh, you know, take it back. Does it come with a receipt? Like, can I trade this thing in? Because I'm not so sure that I want it. But I think that misunderstands the nature of the one who gives the gift. What do you mean by that? I'm talking about that when God gives things, because God is ultimately and nothing but good in in His moral perfections, that when He gives something, it is intrinsically good. So it's very, very important for you to see that when the Bible speaks about singleness, it does not speak about it in some subhuman or subpar way. Paul puts it right up there, y'all. Did you catch it? With marriage. One of one gift, one of the other. And I think that's so critical. I think that's very, very importantly because I think it exposes immediately, listen to me, what we think about God's heart, His very heart toward us. You see, here's what I mean. Most of us don't really believe that deep down that God is good to us. We doubt His character and we doubt His promises to us. And I would actually like to say this. You can write this down. That nothing will expose your belief of God more than your singleness. And I don't mean that it makes you hate Him. I'm saying it gets to the core of who you actually think He is. Is He kind? Is He good? You see, if, if singleness is some sort of penalty for you, right, you're going to have a radically different view of who God is than if you begin to view it and to see it as Paul lays out as a gift. And here's something I would like for you to see. This came from an intern, a former RUF intern. Her name was Paige Benton. Now she's Paige Benton Brown. And she wrote this when she was single. She was single up until her early 30s, okay, when she wrote this. And it was an article that you can find online. I can give it to you if you want. It's called Singled Out by God for Good. And she writes this. i just like for you to turn your eyes up here and just catch what she talks about when she highlights the character of God. I'll read this here for us. She writes, I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corningware. Now, is God being any less good to me than He is to her? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of His children. If He fluctuated one quark in His goodness, He would cease to be God. Now, I love that quote. Why? Because it, likes, it shows us this, that what lies behind much of the thinking and the bad thinking about singleness is actually bad theology. You see, wrong theology, bad theology, is a horrible taskmaster, Calvin said. And if you can't get right what the Scriptures say about who God is, you're always going to doubt His disposition toward you. So if that's what singleness is, let me say this. Let me show you in some ways what singleness isn't. But before so, I need to qualify with two quick caveats. First of all, singleness can be a seasonal gift, or a lifelong gift. For those of you who aren't married, guess what? It's a seasonal one if you get married. 
Right now, it's God's kindness and goodness to you that you are not married. Does that make sense? Like you have to let your you have to let providence demonstrate to you what God's heart and character is to you right now. His kindness to you in this moment is that you're not married. And that's the full expression of his goodness and kindness to you. Do you catch that? That's what Benton Brown is saying, okay? Now, I must say that I have met only a few people who have ever possessed that long-term, lifelong gift of singleness. And you know what? They don't begrudge it. They take it with great joy. That for whatever reason, for reasons we can talk about later, they are content and they're happy in their singleness. They don't desire to be married. They're not weird. They're not strange. That's just the special grace and kindness that God has given to them. But I would say that most of us simply don't have that. Why do I say that? Because most of you are going to end up getting married. That's just the sheer statistical data. Okay? And in that sense, marriage is the norm. Moreover, the Bible says something incredibly unique about us as persons. Not only does Genesis 1 and 2 speak about the inherent goodness of marriage, listen to this. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 goes after people for, for basically teaching false doctrine. And he lays down the hammer on them. And it's interesting because it's not like he's saying he's going after like Trinitarian theology. Or it's not like these people are disputing the work of Christ on the cross. Do you know what they're teaching? They're teaching the forbidding of marriage. And Paul says that's a doctrine of demons. The Bible holds a high view of marriage, but it also hides a high view of singleness. Now listen, I know that most of my talk tonight is in this point, but I have to show you this. I was not married until I was 30 years old, three weeks before I turned 30. I really wanted to be married, and I wanted to say, and I want you guys to say this, that it is okay, it is okay to not want singleness. And that needs to be said. This is a good longing. It hurts, and it can drive you crazy longing for someone. And I want you to know that there is nothing wrong with beginning to implement in your vocabulary and in your vernacular that I desire to be married. You have the free, if you need somebody to give you permission, you can say that. That's the perfect expression of human sexuality that the Bible gives us. It's the ark. It's the ark where this thing is going. There wasn't anything wrong with me at 29 years old. And as a single, it was an expression of God's infinite goodness to me. And some people will have a lifelong gift, but if that makes you shudder, the good news is this, you probably don't have it. You probably don't have it. So here's the point. With that being said, being single and being married are two equally gifted ways of being human. The Bible says that both are. Now, I just want to highlight four things for you about what singleness isn't. And I know this is the bulk of my first point. But take a look, first of all, at this idea when I talk about what singleness isn't. Because this stuff is deeply embedded in our psyche. And I'd like for some of this to feel like a Band-Aid coming off when you see what's coming up on this page here, okay? First of all, I want you to see that singleness is not punishment. Now, what do I mean? I mean that singleness is not punishment for the brokenness of your past sexual relationships. That God is not putting you in singleness as a punishment or payment. 
Maybe you've had sex. Maybe you've had lots of sex in your life. But the Bible says that if you have trusted Christ, that you are now a new person in Him. And that God has punished Christ for your sexual history. Not you. And He gives you His perfect record. And dear friends, I know college students carry around shame, as the Avent brothers would say, boatloads of shame because of their sexual past. And I would just like for you to see there is no more punishment that remains for you and that means that singleness is not a punishment for you from God for your past, past sexual sins. Some of you may be single in your late 20s and you'll believe the lie, if I just hadn't slept with him or her, then God wouldn't be punishing me with being alone. And I just want to say, if you are a Christian, you need to do something. You need to confess that you are believing a lie about God's character to you. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I cannot stress this enough. God doesn't not know how to give you anything else than His ultimate best for you. His absolute goodness to you in Jesus. We pray the prayer, God give us our daily bread, and then we think that God is skimping out on us. Deep down, we think that God is stingy in His goodness to us, but it's just not true. Secondly, because singleness is a gift, that means this, that singleness isn't a testing ground for what? First of all, your commitment. We can often say, here it is, well, if I'm single long enough and I'm really patient with God, then He'll give me a spouse. Nope. <laughs> nope. God's goodness to you doesn't rest on your patience with Him. God's goodness to you is based on the work of Jesus on your behalf. Period. So don't think that I first need to prove my commitment to Him by showing Him how single I am. You need to get over your martyr complex. He's not impressed by it. And it doesn't get you a spouse. Secondly, it's not a testing ground either for your contentment. This is a huge one. Here's what I mean. How many of you times have you heard this? When you finally surrender or give yourself wholly over to the Lord, then, that's then that He brings someone special in your life. Eh, BS, bad theology, doesn't line up with the Scriptures. That's horrible teaching and you need to shun it. Get rid of it. Quit believing it. Because why? Here's why. It's a lie, first of all. And when are we ever, this side of heaven, ever fully committed to the Lord? Anybody in that camp? Not me. Okay? There always remains a strand of sin this side of heaven. A strand of unbelief. And secondly, by believing this, you are living, this is Benton Brown again, as though God's blessing are earned by our contentment. What? No. That's not true. All problems are theological problems I told you about. This mentality exists on our campus. Thirdly, it's not a testing ground, ready, for you to prove your holiness. I love this one. We can often think that before I end up with someone, God has got to do some amazing things in me. Now listen, I thought this when I was in college. Oh my goodness, I thought this. This is what I believed for a long time. And it's a works-based way of thinking about marriage and singleness. Is God really only going to give you a spouse when He has completed an amazing work in you? Well, good luck. Like, when's that going to happen? When you die. That's how it works. That's the, that's the doctrine of sanctification and glorification in our lives. Again, Brown. God does not grant marriage as a second blessing to those who have been satisfactorily sanctified. You hear that? And then lastly, 
is this. I think I've got one more. No, I don't. That was it. So that was it. That's what we got. The point I'm getting on a horse. Get off the soapbox, Anderson. Here we go. The point if you are single right now, it's a gift from the Lord. One to be enjoyed, one to be delighted in, one to be thankful for, because it's an expression of His goodness to you. Does God give bad gifts? No, He does not. And therefore, both marriage and singleness in their appropriate times are expressions of His kindness to you. And that same Paul that highlighted the goodness of marriage highlights that singleness is a gift from the kind heart of God Himself. That's my first point. That was a lot of it. I realize it. Secondly, the goal of singleness. Take a look with me at these next verses here in verses 25 through 28. What's the point of singleness? In other words, what does the Bible say the goal or the purpose for it is? And it is very clear, by the way. Here it is. It's to be used to glorify God and to serve Him. Did you catch that? We see this when Paul talks about it in verse 25. Let's read this together again. 25 to 28 of chapter 7. Paul writes, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek to find a wife. But here it is. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, those who will marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And then he says, then again in verse 32 to 35, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Now, what is he saying? He is saying that if you are married, you serve the Lord. And if you are single, guess what you do? You serve the Lord wherever you're at. This doesn't mean that you, can get, that, that you can't get married. It's rather focusing on the goal of the station of life. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verse 35 says this, that you would be undivided to the Lord. And here's the point. The goal of singleness, its point, is devotion to the Lord Jesus and His kingdom. And I can tell you this, having been on both sides of the marriage fence, okay? There were things that I was able to do as a single man that I am not able to do anymore. I simply can't hang out with y'all until 3 o'clock in the morning. I would love to do it. Let's sit around and talk. Let's have discussion. Let's hang out. I can't do it anymore. I've got a family to take care of. And God has called me to be faithful as a husband and as a father to care for that family. And that's what Paul is talking about because when I am now married, guess what? I have the anxieties. I have the things that I'm thinking about in the back of my mind that I'm now accountable and responsible to the four lovely ladies in my life. Now you see, when I was graduating seminary, right when I had proposed to Laura, it was right before I proposed to Laura because I was really wrestling with this, I didn't, know, <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to be married or not because I was considering what Paul was saying. Because on the one hand, I had spent some latter years in seminary thinking more and more about the arts, about being a Christian in the arts, and I thought I might move to Southern California and try to serve in some way in writing and film industry. I had some friends that were involved with it. Now, I didn't probably stand much of a chance, but the point is I didn't know how to make sense of that calling to just be able to up and go and go serve and how to handle the idea that I was pretty serious with Laura 
And so I knew that I needed to wrestle with this. And maybe you thought about that as well. The point that he is trying to make is, is that the goal of your singleness is not for self-absorption. It's not for you to get your own way all the time. The goal of singleness is that this, is that singleness is about, as Paul would say, undivided service or care and giving and caring your, giving your life away and caring for the, uh, the things of the Lord. Let me mention some things about what therefore it is not. The goal of singleness then, it means that singleness cannot be about other things. And these two things are worth mentioning. First of all, it isn't a time or a holding pattern for your life. And that's meant positively. Life doesn't start when you get married. You need to know that. Okay? Like life just doesn't start when you get married. And singleness isn't a place for you to wait on serving God and others. God calls you to obedience now, to service and walking with Him. It knows no marital status. So therefore, I can just say that. Get on with life. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep walking with Him and serving with Him by His grace. If a guy or a girl comes your way, great. But don't think that for one minute that participating in the kingdom or loving others starts when you get married. Remember, being single isn't God's second best for your life. It's a gift. And secondly, and this is something that I had to really wrestle with, it also isn't a time to drink deep from the well of selfishness and narcissism. The simple words of Jesus are enough here. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus is saying, make your life about you to your own ruin. And again from Matthew chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Here's the point. The goal of your singleness is to be spent not on yourself, but in radical service for the kingdom. So you know what that means? Here it is. Quit looking at Instagram. Put the video games down and go give your life away by loving others. That's what, that's what God is intending you to do. You have incredible freedom and flexibility that I don't have, that I wish that I still had. But it is gone now. I, it's just a different station for me. But I want you to know that that's the gift that you have and that all sorts of married people simply don't. It's at this point that the gospel flies right in the face of the broader culture. The broader culture is screaming at you this. You, you, you. Be about me, right? Listen to one of our cultural greats. You might remember this famous man. His name is Ron Swanson. He's the director of Parks and Recreation Department at the uh, Pawnee Department of Recs or whatever. Here it is. He says this. Teamwork, very important. Equally important, selfishness. <laughs> Take what's yours. That's, that's the mentality that I think a lot of us think about with our singleness, right? The point is, being single presents an incredible temptation. You've got no commitments to other people, so be wary of self-indulgence. But it provides you a great opportunity, too, to give your life away. And that brings me, lastly, to this third point, the idea of the going away of singleness. The going away of singleness. Now, my last point tonight, I hope, to kind of serve as a hinge moving from singleness into marriage. See, um, I think we have seen that Paul has named that singleness is an intrinsically good thing and that the purpose of it is for loving God and for loving other people. But I know, but I know too that Paul knows that singleness will not be the goal for most of you, the end for most of you. In verse 28, Paul shows us. Catch it again. Let's read it together. Verse 28. 
But if you do marry, there it is, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. What is Paul saying? He is simply saying this, that for those of us that do not have the lifelong gift of singleness, marriage is the goal. The overwhelming majority of you, therefore, are going to get married. Some of you don't like that. You know what I mean? Like Some of you don't like the fact that you're going to get married. Because it scares you. Because it brings out all of your insecurities about failure and about risk and about intimacy and about involvement and will I be cut out for it and can I do it? And the, and the, the answer to that question, by the way, is no, you can't. Not without God's grace in your life. We actually need the resources of the gospel to be able to do that. But here's something I need for you to also hear and understand. That marriage in the Bible, Proverbs 18.22 says this, that he who finds a wife, or you could easily say that she who finds a husband, finds a good thing and the Lord's favor rests upon him. And therefore what this is telling us is that marriage, for many of us, ought to be sought. It should be sought out, in other words. Now I'm going to make the case, so hang on your hats on this, okay? Coupled with this idea, most of you have a deep and profound desire to actually be married. And all I want to say is what, is what, you, what you need to hear is this. You need to embrace the idea, here it is, of getting married and stop running from it. My campus minister, a guy by the name of John Stone, used to put it this way. There comes a point in every dating relationship especially if, well, if you're a Christian, where you've got to ask this question. It's either time for us to break up or it's time for us to get married. Now, I mean that with all weight and gravitas because when you think about it, it just makes sense. There are two options for you if you are a Christian. When you begin a relationship, you will either, what? One, break up. Or two, what? You're going to get married. Now, some of you are going to try to insert a third category there. We'll just date forever. How many of y'all would like to date forever? Okay. So hang with me on this. How many of you want to start dating in order to end breaking up? Do you see how the end in mind is always at the current moment? You cannot escape it. And the question is, is that most of us try to push that off and not have to deal with it. But the question still sits. The question still sits. If you're in a relationship, there comes a point where you must face the question. I either need to break up with you or we need to start talking about getting married. And that's not a sin. Your mom and your daddy might not like it, but Jesus loves it. That's what you were made for. It is not good for man to be alone, he says. Some of y'all are squirming in your seats and you hate me right now because I just said this. And I love it because I hated my campus minister too when he was telling me that when I was in your exact same seats. The point is, is this, that you were made for another person and therefore you need to start embracing it. And I love sort of stirring the pot like that and we can talk about it all you want. Here's the thing that you need to see. If you are, if you are in this situation, you need to know sort of practically, practically this. If you have been dating for a while, this means that you must really begin to look somebody in the other face, in the eyes and say, we need to talk. Are we, are we afraid of committing to one another for some reason? Why? If so, why? 
sort of holding on to singleness? What's the deal there? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that He is sovereign? Do you believe that He has promised to take care of you? My point is this. If you want to get married, here's the thing. Singleness is not an option for you. There it is. Get moving to marriage. And if you want to talk to me about this, I'm happy to do it. That's why they pay me the big bucks, y'all. So, let me close here. We've talked about singleness tonight, and we've begun to swing into that transition into marriage. And what I want to say is what lies behind so much of the anxiety is this. It's really questioning the goodness and the good heart of God towards us. Deep within our souls, we have doubts about this goodness. Adam and Eve from the garden doubted it too, and it's been in our hearts ever since. We really wonder about God's heart toward us. And what, therefore, will put our souls at ease? What will calm our anxious hearts? What proof do we have that God really has our best intent in mind? And I simply want to say, here it is, that we look at the single man, Jesus, who died to secure what? His wife for himself. And yes, believe it or not, is still waiting for her. His process of moving from singleness into marriage came through His death for you. And you see, Jesus on the Christ died completely human. How? As a single man. He Himself chose to live all of His life unmarried. And that dignifies the institution, the state of singleness. And that's telling us, therefore, there is something deeper than your marital status that defines you. And what is it? It's have you been loved by this single man? Do you know Him? Have you looked at Him as the true lover? The one who knows you and has given His life to prove to you that He will stop at nothing to do you good. Listen to what Paul says. That He that is the Father, God, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? I've quoted that more than one time this semester. If God the Father handed over His very Son for you, listen y'all, He will give you everything you need, whether that is singleness or whether that is in marriage. And if God gives Jesus over to deal with your biggest problem, your self-centeredness, your sin, then His goodness will not stop giving you all that you need, whether that be in singleness, or whether that be in marriage, whether that be in life, or whether that be in death. The Lord simply cannot be anything but good to you. Let's pray together. Well, this is so heavy for many of us. I remember when I was a college student, I wanted hope. And I so wonder if it's been given tonight. So I pray that You would, Holy Spirit, come, take the true things that are in accord with Your Word and apply them deep into our hearts because we so desperately need You. And when You be with us and meet with us until You call us home or until You return, Will you help us to see something about waiting in the Christian life? It's very synonymous with just being a Christian. Would you help us to be a community that waits well for the other? 
And Lord, would you help us to not be afraid of marriage? Would you help us to not be afraid of singleness? Lord, would you show us what the gospel tells us about being single more and more? And we lift this all up in your name. Amen.